Hello, and welcome to the Her and Him podcast. I'm Dale. And I'm Tamara. And when two theologians get married, what you get is a podcast. Well, Christian culture is an interesting thing, like when it comes to fashion, music, style, technology. Sometimes it feels like the church is living on a different planet from the rest of the world. What do you mean? Like we're just different. Like for example, like in a good way. Uh, sometimes, sometimes, not always. Like for example, we used to go to a church that was a fifty-year-old church, and so it was an older organization, and they're trying to make strides to become more connected to today's culture. But to give you an idea of how hard that road was, let me tell you about our main worship center. So it was a building where we held the Sunday services, and I think the building was completed in either 1999 or 2000. But whenever I would talk to people and I would tell them that, you know, this building is 18 years old or whatever, uh, they would be like, really? I thought this building was built in like straight 1985. Yeah, I remember my first time walking onto campus and going into the building and, you know, the church being... 50 years old, it made sense why the building felt old. And then when you told me that particular part of the campus was a newer building, I was pretty surprised. Right. Because even though it was a newer building, it was built in the style of something that would have been built 15 to 20 years prior than the completion of the project. Right. And I mean, it makes sense if the building has been there forever because there's a lot of churches where that's the case. And obviously updating is difficult, but for it to be a new build... And everything about it is set back 20 years. I guess you're right. That makes Christians different. And that's just kind of a snapshot of the church in general a lot of the times. It's like not an uncommon story, not just that church, but lots of churches. And I feel like we're getting better at this, but Christian style is definitely kind of funky. Like Christian music and Christian films are generally speaking, typically not very good. Like when I see that a movie's Christian made, I know that because like I'm a Christian and I went to seminary, like I should be for these things. But when I see that a movie has been made that was a Christian film, I actively don't want to see it because typically Christian movies are kind of an assault on cinema and I enjoy cinema. So those are my feelings on that. Yeah, I usually give them a little bit more grace and a bit more of a pass because I always assume since it's a Christian film, it's probably dealing with a far smaller budget. But far actually, smaller talent pool. Right. And so I'm not even sure if any of those presumptions are true or not, but I can certainly hear where you're coming from in regards to the outside world looking into Christians. We are different insofar as we're kind of stuck in an older time period, or we're always stuck 20 years behind what's happening around us. Yeah, so all of this is kind of indicative of a larger conversation as we talk about style and music and movies and all of the things that are part of Christian subculture that are different from the regular culture. And that question is, what should Christians' relationship to the surrounding culture be? That's a really good question, and one that depending on how you were raised or even what church you're in, your view might be different. This is actually a pretty hot debate, I think, in regards to where Christians land, what category, if we can categorize human behavior and culture and society in 
religion all into one category. There seems to be five different categories that, based on a really popular book by H. Richard Niebuhr called Christ and Culture. And this is kind of like the gold standard book when it comes to talking about Christians and culture. It was written in 1951, and having gone to seminary, I think there was at least half a dozen different professors that had an entire lecture just on this book. Yeah, and I enjoyed reading this book because I didn't realize there were categories. I didn't realize there were different ways of dealing with this question. And I wouldn't think that Niebuhr would agree any of them would dictate the one and only correct way. But he certainly makes really good arguments for strengths and weaknesses and just the thought process behind each one based on scripture because each viewpoint really is trying to come from a biblical standpoint of how do we as Christians continue to follow scripture but yet live in culture around us. Yeah, so we want to take some time and look at those different views or those different standpoints on how Christians should interact with the culture around them. And the first one is one that most people are probably kind of familiar with, even just implicitly, and that is Christ against culture. Yeah, Christ against culture is a view that I would say automatically is on the defense with culture because it's the idea that for someone who's following Jesus and wants to live a life after Jesus, that your only way of operating within culture is to fully reject culture at all costs because it's this idea that when sin entered the world, everything within the world became evil. And because of this, every part of our lives, every piece of our life that we live on this side of eternity comes from the fundamental root of evil. And based on that presumption, we should live a life that is fully rejecting culture and everything that has to do with society. And the only thing we can do is turn to the Bible and live based on as much day-to-day, whether it's descriptive or prescriptive, information we have from Scripture. And probably the personification of this would be, I don't know if you ever had this in youth group where there was like a time where like the youth pastor told you to bring all of your CDs and magazines or whatever of this world and you would like throw them in a bonfire or you would have them destroyed. Actually, that same building that we were talking about earlier has a bunch of CDs that youth students brought and threw in the hole basically that where they were going to pour the foundation. So there are like Metallica CDs in the foundation of that church. It was just this thing like the youth pastors did at the time where it was like, bring your Metallica CDs or what your Lincoln park CDs or whatever it might be and get rid of them to get rid of this culture. I'm like, no, nah, no, nah, like that's the black album. I'm going to pull that back out. I'm going to keep that. But that was kind of a trope for a while. Hmm. Yeah, that wasn't my experience in youth group at all, but I did grow up where my mom, again, just being new to the faith, was trying to navigate this. And her take, I, I would say, at least in the very beginning of her faith, her take was Christ against culture because we were not allowed to listen to anything other than Christian music. We were not allowed um, to watch a lot of shows that 
people my age were watching, whether it be cartoons or other types of shows. And so even now to this day, there are a ton of people that make reference, you know, back to growing up in the 90s. And I have absolutely no idea what they're talking about. Oh, like you just weren't there. Yeah, I wasn't in the 90s. You know, when I was a kid. I was kid, somewhere else. When I was a kid, my parents would never let me watch Power Rangers because they said it was too violent. And I've always felt like I missed out on that. Hmm. I wasn't allowed to watch SpongeBob. What? Yeah. Man, you were. No SpongeBob allowed. I think that's child abuse. I don't know. Now that I watch some episodes of SpongeBob, I'm like, this is. I don't understand why anyone likes it. But I guess guess you had to be there at the time. Yes. (laughs) But people who take on this view of Christ against culture, they're really finding some biblical support because they're trying to wrestle with how do we live as Christians in culture? And one of the probably supporting verses that they would use is 1 John 2, 15 to 17. So do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Boom. That's like the slam dunk verse for this outlook on the world. Right. Um. But... As we're trying to share some of the views that are here, I think it's important for us to not only point out the weaknesses, but point out strengths of the views because each view is trying to live out scripture. And so obviously there are going to be strengths about it. And so this particular view of Christ against culture, some of their strengths is that they have a lifestyle of unwavering convictions and They really have this strong fortitude to never compromise. And certainly that is a theme within scripture that as people who follow Jesus, you are supposed to be set apart. You are called out and you are not supposed to look like the world. And this view of culture takes that very serious. And I would say they're really good about making sure that they're set apart. But... There are some weaknesses. Yeah, I mean, the fact that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And if we are to be like Christ, then we need to love the world in that sense. And not not in the sense that John is warning against, where he says, don't love the world and the things of the world. Like, be involved with that. Like, I saw a quote that said, uh, Jesus sat with sinners, but Jesus didn't sin with sinners. So that's kind of the distinction there, where you don't throw the baby out with the bathwater. But when John is saying, don't love the world, he's saying, don't sin with sinners. But it was also John that that quoted Jesus as saying, like, God so loved the world that he came and he died for it. So Christians should have some interaction with culture. It's not a wholesale rejection of it. But then the question becomes, what is the nature of that interaction with the culture? Right. And moving over to one of the other views, which is completely on the other end of the spectrum, would be Christ of culture. So we had Christ against culture, where at all costs you reject everything happening in culture. This second view that we want to talk about is Christ of culture, which again is completely opposite of the one that we just discussed. There is really no tension between Christ and the culture because this worldview would suggest that Jesus is the fulfiller 
of all of society's hopes and aspirations. And so this would be probably most prevalent and seen within the social gospel, right? Definitely, because in the social gospel movement of the early 20th century, it was the idea that if we apply Christian ethics to social problems, then culture will improve. But the only problem with that movement is that the preaching of Christ wasn't an essential part of that movement. And so really as a result of that, mainline Protestantism has kind of been in steep decline ever since. And the reason for that is that they were doing good things. They were doing things that that Jesus would agree with, but they were leaving Jesus out of it. And so when you do that, the uniqueness of who Jesus is and who the church is is no longer there. And it should probably be noted that the social gospel movement has actually moved more conservative groups of Christians towards a Christ-against-culture mindset because of how it failed in that way. And so that's why even today you'll see uh, among a lot of conservative Christians this reticence or this hesitation or suspicion of things like the church engaging in social justice because they'll say that's just a social gospel. You're taking Jesus out of the equation. And so a good uh, resource actually look at this back and forth between Christ against culture and Christ of culture and how to balance between the two is this book called The Uneasy Conscience of Modern Fundamentalism. It's by a guy named Carl Henry. It was actually written in 1947, but Homeboy could have written it like in 2016. That title alone sounds like a mouthful and like it's really academic in its reading. Oh, but it's a good read. It's not super academic. I mean, it was written in 1947, so... He talks like he's living in 1947, but it's a it's a good it's a little book. It's a quick read, uh, but it's very compelling in understanding kind of the movements of what was wrong with the social gospel and then what was wrong with conservative Christians' response to it, and kind of a plea for for more balance. Hmm. And the probably large support for the Christ of culture view would be that. God created the world and everything in it. And so really the the idea of culture comes from God. And so how are we going to reject all of that when it was created by God? Like the concept of having culture was created by God. Now, if that culture has been corrupted, we can now take that same culture and put Christ in it. But again, based on the social gospel movement. They didn't do that very well. And so we can certainly probably go through a longer list of weaknesses for this side, but I think it's good, again, to point out some of the strengths. And one of the strengths of this view is that they're often very good at effectively sharing that the gospel is for the world and that Jesus genuinely desires for all to be saved. Yeah, and I think on the weaknesses side, where they, there's this strength of showing the love of Jesus, the weakness was not actually talking about Jesus. There's this quote that says, preach the gospel always, and if necessary, use words. But it's always necessary to use words. It's a both and. And so the weakness was that in order to curry favor with other people, this movement did a lot of humanitarian efforts but 
basically gave away the farm theologically. And so when you water down the message of who Jesus is, of the mission that God has put us on, it's a quick road towards irrelevance because the power lies in the gospel and the gospel message and the gospel message lived out. And so when you take out the essential elements of what that message is, then you lose all your power. And so between these two views, Christ against culture and Christ of culture, probably a better understanding would be to take more of a middle road. And that would be the view that is Christ above culture. And within this middle view, we actually have two subcategories, I guess you could call them. Um, But within this understanding of a Christ above culture, it sets forth that culture is morally neutral and sometimes it can be good so long as it stands in agreement with scripture. So its goal is not to pit Christ and culture against one another because you really see that in the other two views that we just talked about. Right. Either Christ wins or culture wins. Right. And so really what it's attempting to do is to balance Christ and culture because we see the mix of both of those things throughout scripture. And because of that, it's important that we try and figure out how do we live that out day to day. Yeah. And so the two subsets of this view are Christ and culture in paradox and Christ the transformer of culture. And so in Christ and culture in paradox, it it holds the idea that creation was created good, which we see that in Genesis 1, but it became corrupt as a result of the fall. And so Christians, we live in this tension of embracing certain parts of culture while rejecting others. And so someone like Martin Luther historically could have been put into this category, even though this category was created long after he had lived and died. He he would kind of fall as an example of this. His understanding would be that from Christ, we have the knowledge and the freedom to faithfully and lovingly do what culture teaches or requires. Yeah, and so Martin Luther would be a good example, but again, these categories were decided and labeled um, long after Luther's life. But just from his teachings and what we understand of his theology, he would certainly fit into this category of Christ and culture in paradox. And so it's overall that we live in this tension. And Martin Luther was just a paradox himself. Yeah, I guess that's true. Uh, His view on everything was very paradoxical. (laughs) Yeah. So it's just this understanding that we have the tension of culture was created to be good and there was a fall and so because of that we have to deal with the the sin that is within culture but going back to one of your other statements you said earlier in the podcast you can't throw the baby out with the bathwater, and that's what this view is trying to keep in tension yeah and then there's the christ is the transformer of culture and basically this holds the christ and culture in paradox view that there are some parts of the culture that we can affirm and embrace. There are some parts of the culture that we have to reject and move away from. But far more than just reject or move away from certain parts of the culture, that by the power of Christ within us, we can actually transform those parts of culture. And so this is a camp that Augustine would fall into. And Luther was Augustinian, so we're not pitting them against each other. But it's this view that there are parts of the culture that are genuinely good because 
humanity is created in the image of God. Society is created in the image of God. And so there's some good that is bleeding through even though we are in a fallen, sinful, wicked state. And so we can affirm those things. And then the things that are counter to what God had designed— by the power of Jesus, who came to redeem us, we can then begin to transform those by the power of the Holy Spirit through us. Yeah, and so the difference between the two subcategories within Christ above culture is that one would say we reject the bad, we keep the good, but the other would say, no, let's take a step further into the bad and let's, through the power of Christ, transform that. And so that's really the only solid distinction between the two subcategories that hold to the view of Christ above culture. And I think that's an important distinction. And we actually see that distinction in the views of churches today, because there will be some churches who are very affirmative of the good things in the culture, and they just stay away from the things that that are not. They don't go near them. They don't talk about them. Uh, But this Christ is the transformer of culture. You see this in other churches where... Uh, there's a willingness to lean in to some of the more controversial aspects of culture and to do so in a way that is not affirming any kind of sinfulness, but seeking to bring about redemption and transformation into those things rather than to avoid the conversation entirely. And that kind of moves us into the next Part of what we wanted to talk about is how is this conversation even relevant today? And you've spoken to a little bit of that just with this idea that the church should have an important voice in topics that are happening today. We shouldn't be tone deaf to what's happening around us. We shouldn't live in some Christian bubble that no one else can relate to, no one else can understand. And yet members of our congregation are dealing with these topics in their families, in their friends groups, in their workplaces. And so if the church is not even taking the effort to speak into them in any way, it's really hard for members of the body of Christ to know how to function. And so the church at large should take the opportunity to speak into issues and they should have a voice that is highly unique. It shouldn't sound like all of the other voices we're hearing around us. It should sound like Christ, because Christ himself is unique. I think there are two equal but kind of opposite problems with the way the church interacts with the culture. And I think one is that is when the church chooses not to have a voice at all. You know, some people say, ah, just preach the Bible, just preach the Bible. And that sounds virtuous, But the Bible is highly relevant and radical in terms of the things that are happening in the here and now. And so to just forego those conversations and instead show your people in your church maps of ancient Israel and this is where Abraham lived in ancient Mesopotamia and isn't that interesting as a cover for not having to talk about these other relevant conversations that the Bible also speaks to. It's like we're, we're wasting a valuable opportunity to speak prophetically, relevantly and biblically into these situations. So I think one mistake is to not wade into those waters at all. I think the other mistake is that sometimes we wade into those waters, but our talking points sound like everybody else's talking points. And so if the way that you're responding to 
whether it's politics or pandemic or social uh, unrest as a result of a racial injustice, if your talking points on those issues sound exactly the same to those of either Fox News or CNN or MSNBC, then you're not preaching the right message. Right. Because, because those, those messages don't have Jesus. Exactly. Those outlets or those forms of media, forms of information that we receive are not based on Jesus. And it's fine. Like those are important social voices on the left and on the right that are speaking into this issue. A lot of time the conversation becomes very counterproductive. And I think there's there's a way that if we seek the heart of Jesus, there's actually transformative power in seeing things the way Jesus sees them, which is different from the left and the right. Yeah, and I think it's hard to figure out as as a believer because we are walking in difficult times and I even think back to when my mom was raising my brother and I and her view of Christ against culture and I can I can understand it because when you're having to look at each decision you're making as a Christian the reality is each decision you're making does revolve around culture because we live in culture. You can't get away from that. The very language that you speak is literally the language of your culture. The way you communicate, the way that you think is largely given to you by your culture. And so you can't just remove yourself from culture. It's, there's it's no impossible. One, yeah, there's no one who's cultureless. Exactly. And because of that, it makes things so much more complicated because you're trying to live like a believer in a culture that is not based on Jesus. And so each decision you're having to weigh that out and that becomes more difficult. And I think it is hard right now because people want answers. They want answers about the right politician to vote for and they want to put them in, you know, a Christian category and a non-Christian category. But our culture doesn't fit in those binaries our culture doesn't fit into those categories because they don't think in those categories. So as Christians, we are called to think in those categories. And oftentimes that means we are not going to find the answer in the media at all on either side. Yeah, and you said people are looking for answers. I think what's unfortunate is people are looking for easy answers. And so it's easy to turn on the TV and to have somebody to blame because the talking head you know on the news show told you who to hate but those easy answers are never the right answers there's so much more nuance and if we're really committed to seeing just the complexity of who Jesus is and not even just the complexity to see Jesus as he is and and the way he was during his ministry here on earth a lot of times we delete the things that are counter to our pre-existing worldview, if that makes sense. So if you're like a conservative Republican, you read and you zero in on all of the verses that make Jesus seem like a conservative Republican. Hmm. And if you are a liberal Democrat, you zero in on all the verses that make Jesus look like a liberal Democrat. But the fact is, Jesus offended both sides. There are people uh, on the left where Jesus holds the exact same views as them. And then there are people on the left that Jesus holds the exact opposite and the truths of the right. And so a willingness to open up to that possibility and kind of break yourself out of the box that you've been put in and put yourself in the Jesus box instead, that we have to be willing to engage in that discipline. 
Right. And it's a hard discipline because it doesn't seem like anyone is speaking that way right now. And part of it is because we exist in our social media echo chambers. So the way that social media algorithms work is the content that you like is the kind of content that they're going to put in front of you. And so if you pause and you watch a lot of left-leaning videos, then they're going to put more left-leaning videos in your newsfeed. Or if you watch a lot of right-leaning videos, then those are what's going to be put in in your feed. And so what ends up happening is not because of the great amount of evidence is given, but by sheer repetition, a rehearsal of the same talking points, they become embedded into your psyche and become as good as true, even if some of them are false. Yeah. And that's where the discipline, like you said, of stepping outside of those boxes that we through repetition have put ourselves in. And just the way that technology works has continued to feed us. Uh, We have to be disciplined in stepping outside of that and looking at all of the information in front of us and not then making a decision based on that, but then going back to scripture and seeing what is it in this area that I'm trying to figure out where I stand. What is it that Jesus is calling me to? And sometimes that, what Jesus is calling you to, will make you uncomfortable because it's unlike everything else the people around you are saying. It's unlike everything that your family is saying. And it's unlike everything that you have been taught because Jesus doesn't fit into these categories. And we have to not feel forced to put ourselves into a category based on culture we should feel the obligation to put ourselves into a category that Jesus has made. And I think too, we also have to normalize changing your view on things. You see this a lot in politics where one politician will say, Oh, 30 years ago you said this and now you're saying that. Are you a liar? I'm like if you, I hope 30 years from now, like my views are different and more nuanced than they are now Because I don't feel like I'm done evolving my understanding of the world. Now, there are certain things, obviously, that are not going to change. Jesus really did raise from the dead. He really is Lord and Savior. God is three persons in one essence. Like all Those things are going to remain the same. But there are so many things where I know I probably don't currently have the right view on. And so I think we need to normalize growth and change and an evolution of our understanding of the world and not to see that as a threatening thing. Yeah, we need to normalize it for ourselves and we need to normalize it for the people around us. I'm sure if this podcast is continuing even, you know, three years from now that we we might listen back on some of these early episodes and think, wow, we, we really didn't get that right at all, did we? Or we were way off and that's okay because... Change and growth is fundamental to the Christian faith, and you should always be maturing and growing in your knowledge of Jesus and in your knowledge of the way that you are called to live as a Christian. And so to remove yourself from any idea of changing or growing or the idea that you've arrived is really quite foolish. It is. But I think we do it to save face. Like... This is the road I picked, and so I'm going to stay on it. Gosh darn it. Even It's like the sunk cost fallacy. I've already poured so much into this. I can't give up on it now. But we just have to be willing to realize that that's a fallacy. Like It's it's better to change midstream than it is to keep going down the wrong path forever. 
And it's okay to admit that you were wrong. Right. Yeah, like I I used to think this and now I think that I was wrong. And I, I felt like I was so right at the time. But now I think, yeah, maybe not. I, my view changed. I grew. I think even in our own journey together as a couple, I mean, we've known each other for over five years now. And I can certainly say from some of the earliest conversations I've had with you in seminary, uh, oh, I've completely flip-flopped have, on stuff. You, you have changed quite quite dramatically on some areas, and I would agree that I've I've changed too. And honestly, I hope that continues. I hope we continue to change in certain areas. Again, not in the fundamental areas, absolutely not. But in other pieces of our life and of our faith, I pray we continue to grow and that the Lord continues to stretch us. And I think right now in this year with so many things in front of us from politics to the pandemic to just social unrest, we are faced with so many places of tension and it feels like no one is willing to actually wade into the waters of how am I supposed to view this based on scripture? Not based on how do I get scripture to support what I already believe. You can get the Bible to say anything you want it to. Absolutely. If you grab the right verse and you say it in the right way, you can pretty much get the Bible to say anything you want it to. Yeah, and that shouldn't be our goal. Our goal should be to have scripture change us rather than to take scripture to support what we already believe. Yeah. So as we're coming to a close here, let's do kind of like some quick hitters on what does this more nuanced approach to culture look like as Christians in some key categories. So it's an election year. Where do we see people stumble on this in terms of politics and how can we get a little better on that? I think one of the big areas in regards to Christ and culture that we are not getting right in the topic of politics, is that too often I hear Christians say, if you are a Christian, then you will vote for this candidate. And if you voted for the other candidate, then you are not a Christian. They're drawing such a hard line and placing labels on something that were never meant to be labeled in that way. Right. Last time I checked, me being a Christian was dependent upon the grace delivered to me by faith by the blood of Jesus Christ and not who I voted for. Yeah. Like that's so silly. And I think a lot of the uncritical thinking and straw man arguments, like I've seen where let's say I even remotely agree with something that Trump has said. Then the argument levied against me is, what, are you a misogynist, homophobe, racist, xenophobe person? Goodness. Just immediately go to that extreme. Or if I agree even remotely with something that Joe Biden has said or done, then people will say, well, do you not care about the unborn? You want them to be murdered in the womb? And that kind of going to the extreme on both sides is completely unhelpful and it's completely unchristlike, and it's not moving the needle in any kind of a direction. And so we need a lot more nuance in the way we talk about these things. Yeah, and that's because neither side politically has captured the way that Jesus views culture. So there's neither party that fits into what Jesus taught during his ministry here 
and really everything that we see about what it is to be a Christian. There's neither candidate that fits so perfectly into what Jesus is calling us to be. And I feel like that's something we've said so often on this podcast. We've said it so often on our blog. We've said it so often just in life. And I think we just need to keep saying it. Oh, I was going to apologize that we keep saying it, but you're right. We probably need to just keep saying it. I feel like not enough people are saying that, that neither political party has got it all right when it comes to following scripture. And that makes it complicated for when you're trying to vote. And so you got to do your best and vote your conscience. But we can't ever make our political candidates out to be some kind of savior. It's just... We just can't. Yeah. And as we're talking about some just like quick pointers to bring this conversation back to what we're dealing with today, what would you say in regards to the racial justice that we've been dealing with? Uh, It's been longer than this year, absolutely. But I think we're really seeing um, it come into large conversations over and over again this year. Yeah, I think when it comes to racial justice in this current milieu if you will in this what current milieu milieu yeah what is a milieu in the common in our current zeitgeist you are saying you're taking one big word and you're just using another big word to replace it in our current set of historical political and cultural contexts thank you i'm sure there are other people out there that had no idea what you were saying so i'm helping them too not just myself <laughs> but anyways i think There's a danger for us to fail here where the church failed with the social gospel movement, kind of in an opposite way, where because the social gospel movement failed, then we don't want to do any of the things that that were important to that movement. And so we do this whole just preach the Bible, just preach the gospel kind of mentality because that's what the social gospel didn't actually do. But we want to do only that and then not engage in any of the work that came along with that movement that was actually good work that Jesus would have wanted us to do. So what we need to do is we need to not divorce proclamation of Jesus to actually physically showing the love of Jesus. And we're prone to do either one or the other. And so we need to have that balance of holding both of those things because really the reason why there are organizations that hold views that the church wouldn't agree with who are leading the way in this conversation is because the church has stepped back and not stepped into those spaces. And so if you look at the Black Lives Matter movement, a lot of people will point out the fact that they're kind of anti-nuclear family. They have some other views that that definitely we, we probably wouldn't agree with. But the reason why they are the leaders is because they're the ones that stepped into this space. And that's on us because we didn't step into that space and become a a voice of leadership. And now we're following behind and the people that we're following don't have the heart of Jesus because they don't belong to Jesus. Yeah, we can't expect people who (laughs) are not covered in the blood of Jesus and saved by grace to actually think the way that someone who is saved would think. And so we're mad about who is leading the way in this conversation And instead of saying, no, Jesus does have something to say about this. Let's stand up as a church and speak into it. We're going to say, no, we don't agree with that. So we're just going to sit back and criticize and stay quiet outside of our criticisms. And really, that's not helpful. Yeah. So instead of indicting the non-Christian voices who are leading the way in justice, which is kind of God's jam, 
we need to be indicting ourselves for letting ourselves so, fall so far behind that people who don't even know God are schooling us in racial justice. Cool. So politics, racial justice, what about the pandemic? Where do you see our lack of nuance in our conversation with culture there? These are really hard topics. Like <laughs> boom, 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 rapid fire, just really punch you in the face at the end this of this year. Goodness, yeah. So in in regards to the pandemic, you you really have two sides where um, Christians are saying, "No, we're not called to fear. Why are you giving way to fear? Uh, we need to keep living our lives." In essence, then they're kind of saying, "Not take this whole pandemic thing seriously." Yeah, just because, rub some essential oils on it. You'll be fine. Well, because they're well, that's not what they're saying, but because. It, they're using the idea that Christians are not called to a spirit of fear. Of course, we're not called to a spirit of fear. But I still but, wear my seatbelt. Yeah, that unfortunately, that argument breaks down really quickly um, when you apply it anywhere else. On the other side, too, we see Christians who actually are living in fear or who are just really debilitated by the pandemic. And that's not what Christ wants us to do either. So I, I think there is more of a nuance in, in regards to the pandemic. I think, again, we shouldn't live in a spirit of fear, but we should also be wise to the counsel of the leaders that God has put over us. And whether you politically agree with those leaders or not, scripture is clear that God has put every leader in place for a reason. And part of that is they are called to make rules and regulations on society and we as believers are called to follow those unless they're very clearly speaking against scripture, which we had a whole other podcast on. So if you have any questions about that, go back and listen to that one. Yeah. And I think another part of the pandemic conversation is the rise of conspiracy theories. And really conspiracy theories is a topic all on its own in this time where conspiracy theories have become really mainstream, where there are these crazy claims that, you know, it's pandemic, that it's it was cooked up in a lab, or that it's not even real, that it's just this hoax. All of these crazy, baseless claims. Christians, man, you gotta just stop. <laughs> you gotta stop, like, taking the bait on these. The world has a view of Christians that we are dumb and gullible. And when we prop up conspiracy theories, what we are saying to the world is, you are absolutely right. And so we really need to guard ourselves because the, the reason for conspiracy theories is that they sow seeds of dissension and suspicion and are really ripping society apart. And we don't want to be about ripping society apart. We want to be about bringing society together. So we don't want to be foolish, obviously, if there's something that's going on. Because that's what I've heard a lot of Christians say. Like, oh, you, so you're just going to be asleep at the wheel and let these things happen and whatever. Obviously, we want to have a reasonable suspicion of things that are said to us. You know, as this, as far as the status quo goes, but really we should be applying more of that suspicion to these conspiracy theories because extraordinary claims require extraordinary evidence, and there's a not enough evidence to support a lot of these. And so we need to really hold to truth and seeking actual truth, and not just the really exciting conspiracy theory, because really those those are introduced by bad actors who are trying to divide us. Yeah. And when it comes to Christ and culture, there are certainly Christians who still hold to Christ against culture. 
Christ for culture, Christ over culture. And it's important that we think about what is our role when we are engaging with culture. That's always been an important conversation, but I think in light of, I mean, these three main topics that we have continued to talk about on our podcast and the three main topics that just continue to be talked about everywhere, it is all the more important for us to realize that as Christians, we do have a role in how we engage in culture and we need to take that seriously. Yeah, so the unique ability that we have as Christians is to step in where people are stepping away and not to step in and just to slide in and be a part of the rest, but really to bring a light into places that are dark. Thanks for listening to the Her and Him podcast. If you enjoyed hanging out with us, consider subscribing to the podcast to receive it automatically each week. We'd also love it if you head over to iTunes to leave us a rating and review. And be sure to come visit us at herandhim.com, where you'll find show notes for this episode, our blog, and other resources to help you experience the abundant life that Jesus promised us. Thanks again, and we'll see you next week. Have you ever felt conflict between your faith and feelings? If so, you're not alone. My name's Carly Mercouillier. I'm a licensed therapist and the host of the Therapy and Theology podcast, where we explore popular topics and questions related to faith, feelings, and spiritual formation. I want to invite you to join me every Thursday as we fearlessly name the complexities of our reality, grow in the awareness of who we are, and rediscover the power and purpose of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. Subscribe today at lifeaudio.com.